0: Why is it that people, at least some people, spend their lives doing things that, if they're really honest, when they look in the mirror late at night, they don't like? They don't enjoy. The daily grind. Nine to five, another day, another dollar. And why is it that people, at least some people, work so hard to get this kind of job? A BA, an MA, a PhD, and then they find out that actually they still have no (laughs) J-O-B. And then when we look at the working life like that, we ask ourselves, is actually family the zone of fulfillment? And if that is the case, why is one of the best-selling books of all time on family life called, and I quote, Families and How to Survive Them? Is family life, when we think of it actually like fudge? Mostly sweet, but with a few nuts. <laughs> or is family more like something you're stuck with? You're stuck with your brothers and sisters, but friends you get to choose. So in short, as we look at this passage this morning, the question that's in my mind as I've been studying it is this, how do we live in a flourishing way, in everyday, normal life. So this is Psalm 127. You'll find it on page 518 in your pew Bibles. 518. And let's pray as we turn now to God's Word. We believe it is God's Word. Let's ask for God's blessing. Father, this word here says, "...unless the Lord builds the house, its laborers labor in vain." Father, uh, we say that is true of this experience this morning as we study your word. Unless you open our eyes, unless your Holy Spirit um, descends and gives us eyes to see and ears to hear, it will be in vain. So, Father, give us the grace to turn our attention but not just intellectually, our will to believe now that this few minutes together as we gather around um, your word could be life-changing about how we live everyday life. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So, my friends, Psalm 127. This is God's word. Unless the Lord builds the house... Children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gates." Well, my friends, I have a purpose for us this morning. My, my purpose statement, my goal as we study God's Word is simply this, that each of us, you and I, would find as we look at what God has to say to us about this subject, the daily grind, or in vain as it describes it, we we'll find that as we learn to see life From God's perspective, that daily grind is alleviated and we enter into the fullness of life that is on offer even in the midst of family struggles and work nine to five Monday to Friday. And it seems to me that's what this psalm is trying to get us to do. It's talking about watching, beholding. It's talking about a perspective on life. And what kind of life does it mean? It means normal, everyday life. It talks about houses, whether the house that you're literally building or the house of your family. Cities, the city, the watchman watching over the city. Uh, even warfare. Defending cities against enemies, Uh, sons and children, family life, nothing much more real than family life. And so as we think of this zone that it's describing, everyday life, trying to release us from the daily grind, we think, of course, of the kind of struggles there are. The troubled teenager helping their parents Look with sympathy on the animal kingdom where some animals eat their young. Or uh, your experience growing up in your family, where you come back home from school with metaphorical bruises or physical ones. And no one plummets the depths of why that is, they just bury the emotions. And so now you're trying to figure out, what do I really feel about this? How does this line up with God? So this is not about hymns and songs and organs and guitars and church buildings, as good as those things are. It's not about Sunday worship and putting on your Sunday best and all of that. As fine as that is, it's... It's not about the break between the life on Sunday and the life on Monday. The phrase I heard from someone who grew up in Wheaton when they heard I was coming to Wheaton said that they found it was fundamentalist on Sunday, or the phrase they used was fundy on Sunday and Lucy the rest of the weeky. This is about Monday to Friday life. Builders, building. Building. Laborers, laboring, guards, guarding, military life. Working late, getting up early, what we call burning the candle at both ends. One or two of you know all about that. It's about babies. And we know what that means. Diapers. Diapers. It's about then not being able to remember when you last actually slept at all. Rochelle and I were saying to each other the other evening that it seems as if we don't really sleep. We just have a series of naps. This stuff of life, the daily grind, how do we get out of it? Well, it's this perspective, this way of looking at life. changes everything. Now, you may say the way you look at things doesn't change the way they are, but it changes how you feel about those things, the attitude you bring to them, and that does change everything. Now, let me illustrate that for you in a a couple of ways. I'm not really much of an artist myself. I'm glad we're doing art uh, coming up for the youth in a little while, and that's a wonderful thing. I love art. I'm not very good at drawing. I'm much better at drawing pictures with words than drawing them with a pencil or pen or whatever. I-, I did do one great picture when I was eight that my mother thinks is great. But I love pictures because they enable me and all of us, I think, to figure out how we actually look at life, what perspective we bring. So whether it's a classic constable of the rolling English countryside that makes you yearn for clotted cream, green fields and a proper English pub with proper English beer for some of us. (laughs) Or whether it's a Winslow Homer of the sailboats where you can almost smell the New England clam chowder. The way we see life Influences how we look at life and that influences how we live life. Hence the power of Salvador Dali's melting clocks or Hopper's night hawks with its atmosphere of ennui, boredom, emptiness late at night. Or a Caravaggio... These things don't just look nice. They're not just aesthetic in the sense of, oh, that's pretty. They're intended to tell us something about how we look at life or how the artist looks at life. And you see, this psalm is painting a picture of reality. And it's encouraging us to look at life through the eyes of God with his perspective that's the way not to live in vain. The same kind of vanity that the book of Ecclesiastes talks about is at the backdrop of this. It's a wisdom literature psalm. Though the word in vain is not the same word that is used in Ecclesiastes. It's the same concept of vanity. Frustration, endless motion like a hamster in a cage running around the wheel. Daily grind. How do we beat that? Well, let's look. First, the first couple of verses which are talking about the life of work and they're encouraging us there to look at work God's way. Let's see how that uh, impacts us as we pray that it would do this morning. So verse 1, look with me at this as it is encouraged us to look at work in a certain perspective from God's perspective. And immediately you'll see there's a conditional clause built into the first couple of verses about work. Conditional clause, unless this takes place, this will happen. Unless the Lord builds the house, it's a conditional clause. Very important to see that because what it is saying is, instead of our attitude, which is if I come up with the perfect human technique at my workplace, if I do A, B, and C, I follow all the rules, then I will flourish. It is saying, actually, for practical daily life, the nine to five, the conditional clause is God building. Unless the Lord builds the house, its labourer labours in vain. Not unless I get the perfect human technique, I'll be labouring in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, this is what in Aristotelian philosophy would be called a primary cause, God building. And then a secondary cause, us working. It's not saying we don't work. It's saying our work will be frustrated unless the primary cause, God building, is met. Unless the Lord builds the house, its laborers uh, labor in vain. Those who build it labor in vain. That's the point. This primary cause is necessary for the secondary cause, us working, to have any impact. Then he illustrates it in a couple of ways. First, the building. Then, the watching over the city. Same phrase, unless the Lord watches, here's the perspective. Unless God is watching, us watching is pointless. We want to adopt God's perspective and depend upon Him. It is in vain you rise up early and go late to rest. He's not saying don't work hard. He's saying it's no point doing that unless... You're depending upon God unless the Lord is with you. You'll be only eating the bread of anxious toil, that is the vanity, the daily grind, unless you are one of his beloved. Do you know that key word there, beloved? Could be it's a sort of hidden signature of Solomon. We're told in the ascription of the psalm that it's written by Solomon And Solomon's special name given to him by God was Jedidiah, which is the same word here as beloved. So the psalm is saying that we need to be one of God's beloved in order for all of work, whether it is building buildings, watching over cities, or high-end government executive responsibilities like King Solomon if we are his beloved then all of this will not be in vain we will beat the daily grind let me illustrate what it means to be his beloved like this there's a little story I picked up this week a preacher and his wife were visiting the Caribbean beautiful place beautiful uh, beaches uh, beautiful sea beautiful weather And visiting the Caribbean, they were asked to dine with one of the wealthiest men in the world who had some massive um, mansion there. This man was 75 years old and throughout the whole meal, he was crying, or at least on the point of weeping. He said this to the visiting preacher and his wife, I am the most miserable man in the world. Out there is my yacht. I can go anywhere I want. I have my private plane, my helicopters. I have everything I want to make my life happy, yet I am as miserable as hell. Of course, the preacher and his wife uh, attempted to share Christ, which is the way to be one of God's beloved as we put our faith in him. Later the same day, this same preacher and his wife went to visit the local pastor of a local Baptist church. This man was also 75 years old. He was a widower who spent most of his time looking after, taking care of his two sick sisters, invalids. Uh, This man said to the visiting preacher and his wife, This, I don't have two dollars to my name, but I am the happiest man on this island. The visiting preacher was Billy Graham and his wife was Ruth. And as he recounted the story after they left Billy turned to Ruth and said who do you think is the richer man? It's a question that doesn't really need answering for it is obvious. And yet we try and build our buildings and watch over our cities and in the end we find it turns to ashes in our mouths unless we are one of his beloved. How much did this psalm ring hollow in Solomon towards the end of his life how much did he listen to the advice that uh, he had written here and how much obey it we don't know but it is written for us to realize that we must be in order to flourish in this life in the center of God's love that is to put our trust in Jesus and to walk by the Spirit and to look at life that way to follow him morally to follow him spiritually, to follow him with the Bibles open and in prayer, in dependence upon God, praying that God would bless our work nine to five, praying about our business deals, praying about our efforts to make money, and using all of that for Jesus, for we know that he loves us, and hence we live a life of love for him, nine to five, Monday to Friday, As much as Sunday. That's how you beat the daily grind. Your work becomes a love. A love for God who has given you this opportunity to love him back. As Paul says, you do it unto the Lord. Not as for men, but as for the master. Everything is transformed. That's how you beat the daily grind of work. Second, though, uh, in the second part of the psalm, he he uses similar language to to connect the two themes of work and their family. The house, physical house, the house of your family. And then he moves on to the second part to talk about the house of your family. And he's encouraging us, of course, in the same way, to look at family, just as we're to look at work, to look at family through God's eyes. Now, let's look down, then, at this part of the psalm from verse 3. Uh, To the end. He talks there about children and how they are a blessing. And you can see that he's encouraging us to look at uh, children, behold children as God does, as a heritage from the Lord. As a blessing. Now of course we all know in theory that children are a wonderful blessing. Uh, But sometimes inside we have the sneaking feeling that our grandchildren are God's reward For not killing our own children. And so sometimes the blessing can look easier in retrospect. Than when we're actually in the trenches with our children. But this is not a rose tinted spectacles looking back. And saying how wonderful it was to change four diapers at three in the morning for two years. It is actually not that sort of platitudes or whatever. It is real life in the trenches with family, whether it is teenagers or adult children or young children. The reality. And it is saying behold children in a certain kind of way. I think the word there, behold, obviously it's a frequent word in biblical language, behold, lo and behold, and the rest. But I think it's intended to actually make us see things a certain way. It's not just ancient kind of, you know, lo and behold just like we talk today, lo and behold, there's a new Chick-fil-A in Wheaton. Uh, it's actually saying not just either, yo, you, get a load of this. It's not just grabbing our attention. I think here it is carrying on the idea of perspective and saying literally, look, behold. So behold, then, children are a heritage from the Lord. Now stop there. Look at how it describes children. Not children inherit from us, though of course that is true. But they are our inheritance as parents. That's a strange way of looking at it. I want you to hold on to that switch of perspective. Because each of these switches of perspective are like a jigsaw of a picture that goes together. So then next, the fruit of the womb a. Reward. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that children are your reward for being morally good. No. This is saying uh, the, the, perspective, the, the, I, the theology that God through his grace gives us everything and that we deserve nothing is assumed here. It's not talking about moral rewards. This is saying that in one sense children are going to be our reward. The word there means reward but it also means higher And payment, it's a money word. It's the same word that Jonah uh, uses when he pays to hire a boat. So this is not talking about the fact that everything was from grace and a blessing from God. That's assumed. The point is that we often think, understandably enough, that children are going to cost us a lot of money. And this is saying we actually need to switch perspective. They reward us. Now, hold on to that thought with this jigsaw pattern, the perspective. So, then, next, verse 4. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Now, we're so familiar, some of us, with this part of the Bible that we forget what a strange idea this is. I mean, could anything be further from the natural thought of a newborn dad? How's it going with your newborn, my, my, my friend? Oh, it's like arrows in my hand. I just feel so like, you know, going out on a gun range and shooting some targets. I feel so lithe. I've got so much energy. So it's a strange switch of perspective. Then there's the blessed, the blessing. Blessed are the man who fills his quiver with these arrows. A quiver is where you put your arrows. It's like the, the, uh, a bullet belt, if you like, for your gun. Strange idea. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now, of course, this what it is saying in one sense is obvious. It is saying that children are a good thing, and we know that. But it's trying to help us see why that is the case, even when we don't feel it. It's giving us a surprising switch of perspective. It is saying they don't inherit, we inherit they don't get rewarded, we get rewarded. They don't make us weak, old, and exhausted, they make us ready for battle. In other words, children are a reward, our inheritance, and arrows, bullets, metaphorically, because, change of picture, because when you're older, having Strong, godly children around you will protect you. In a sense, it's as simple as that. It's asking you to look in your youth, what's going to happen when you get older? Now, I also want you to notice that in the switch of perspective, most of it, it seems to me deliberately targeted towards rather male sensibilities. You know, all this sort of arrow language. Now, I've come across women who don't want children, but not many. Uh, Our daughter, Rochelle and mine, uh, uh, one of our daughters, is already beginning to think about babies, and we haven't had to train her in this. She's just, you know, always interested in babies, which is fine. We reminded her that uh, before she had children, uh, we reminded her recently that before she had children, she would need to have a husband. This came as something of a surprise. Boys, on the other hand, tend to get into marriage pretty sure they want the wife, but not too sure about the children. Seems to me here's distinctly male motivation for children. Here you have it. Your children are great inheritance, great pay, and really good at winning battles. In the gates. What does that mean? The gate in the ancient world was either the place of defense. When you attacked a city, you tried to go for the weakest part, the gate. Or it could be using that image or perhaps both or either or or both. It was the place of a law court. So when you went to sort out disputes, you did it in the gate. You can find that in Ruth, that idea in the ancient world. The law courts. And so a man who has strong sons about him will be better protected against enemies or will have people to speak up in his favor when there is a dispute. Now, we all know, male and female, that children are a great thing, a good thing. But we also all know that they can be a strain. I uh, rather like the phrase that someone once said to me, that you spend the first few years of your child's life teaching them to walk and talk, and then the next dozen or so years of your child's life, train them to sit and be quiet. And children can exhaust even the most devoted mums and dads to such an extent to take literally the advice on the aspirin bottle, take two aspirin and keep away from children. Now, joking aside, uh, outside of Wheaton, where the average size of family is pretty large, I think. uh, But generally speaking, many in the developed world are reconsidering their historic commitment to having more children than the number of parents. Uh, Western society in parts of Europe, and perhaps in some parts of America too, is having less children than the previous generation. This means their future is drying up. Instead, in this perspective, we are to see children, expensive as they may be at the front end, as investment in our future. Now, hear me right. If you are not married or you cannot or do not have children, this does not mean that God is not blessing you. There are many instances in the Bible of the spiritual children that we can have, Paul, a father figure for Timothy, and many other things like this that we can spiritually give new birth and that can be just as much, even more, a blessing. Let me be honest with you, that is certainly the case. And so you can invest in spiritual children or pastoral and evangelistic work, ministry as heritage from God, and many people have done that. But whether physical or spiritual, or both as we hope, I rather like the comment from the commentator, Derek Kidner, on this passage. The greater their promise, the more likely it is that these sons will be a handful before they are a quiverful. Now then, whether it is work or family, it is easy, isn't it? I feel the same. Don't get the mistaken impression that just because I spend most of my time studying the Bible and the church that I don't know what a daily grind is like. We all have our moments where we're thinking, is this it? Is this really what life is about? How do we look at life differently? Well, first of all, we have to build some good theological assumptions. Yes, there is a sense of vanity in vain. The daily grind is not just a myth. There is something broken about life. We've got to be honest about that, otherwise we'll develop false doctrine thinking that heaven is here. Heaven is not here, here is vanity. But there is hope to redeem us from the vanity of this daily life. Not just by escapism and shopping therapy or Watching movies or working so hard, that can be a form of escapism. You forget when you really last took a vacation. In other words, it's not about the old phrase, worshipping our work, working at our play, and playing at God. It's the other way around, a switch of perspective. To bring God and his worship back into the perspective of everyday life. That is family and work. So what I want you to see then is to see life through God's eyes as work, as dependent upon the God who loves you. And therefore to work for him, your master, the one who loves you, if you put your trust in him or will again this morning. And children as a blessing from God. Now art, you see, pictures have this uh, effect, this impact to make us look at life in a different way. And in a way, this psalm is trying to do this, this watching, this beholding. So let me conclude with this uh, wrap-up series of thoughts. How about if the mundane was really invested with messages of the transcendent? How about if thinking of this life simply as a three-dimensional experience... Well, it's just this matter, this stuff around us. You you wake up, you get out of bed, you catch a train to work, you travel one small box to work in another small box, you come back home again in another box to a different nicer box. What if life was actually impregnated with meaning? What if the very frustrations of life tell us that there is hope? Unless the Lord builds the house, its labor is labor in vain. There's something broken which leads us to the healer, Jesus. And what if every child born into the world is a message of hope, not just for our human survival of our race or our nation or our people, but of the child who was born. A little s sacrament. The childbirth that is a message of the birth of the child, the beloved for those he loves. What if this three-dimensional world of space-time is transcended by a dimension as real as two-dimensional beings will be transcended by the emergence of a three-dimensional object, incarnate into their sphere of life, to tell us through His transcendent life, His real life, His death, His real death, His real birth, of a world beyond, and of living now in such a way that the vanity, 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 three times repeated in this psalm, is replaced instead with blessing and love. What if, in short, you beat the daily grind by adopting this perspective on life that is the truth? What does that mean most practically? It means going to work, asking for God's help. Unless the Lord builds this, I'm going to labor in vain. It means beginning high executive leadership like Solomon As you mean to go on with dependence upon God to build the house. What does that mean in terms of family? It means grow your families. Have children. Train them well, knowing that they are a blessing from God, whether those children be physical or spiritual to cause us this blessing, to cause us to move forward with the gospel for the next generation. That's what it means practically. And all that is a response to this change of perspective, to see it, all of it, not mundane or vain, not cursed, but blessed as an expression of your loving Master if you will trust Him. It is a message telling you of the greater love that God has for us, Jesus, who laid down his life for his friends, that God has displayed his love for us, and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how you know that you are loved, even in the midst of the most frustrating experience, when you look at the cross. He came, he lived, he died and rose again, that we might live, even every day, daily life, not as a daily grind, not as in vain, but with an eternal purpose, an eternal perspective. Right now, because of that, life to the full, as Jesus promised. I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Reverberates with meaning, it sings with truth, this beloved experience that you have through adopting Jesus' view of life. So that's at the most practical level then how you beat the daily grind with the perspective of God on life and therefore on your knees with the Bible open at family, at work because you see love and blessing from God through it all. Let's pray together and seek that blessing. Would you uh, say, unless the Lord builds the house, would you say that inside about your family, about your work, about your studies? Would you adopt prayerfully now God's perspective that you depend upon Him? Would you also look at life prayerfully now as one of his beloved, that you can do all these things for the Master. And if you are not sure that you have his love, would you cry out to him in your heart, asking that he would pour out his love into your heart by his Holy Spirit? Would you look at your family, whether parents, Grandparents, children, grandchildren, brothers, sisters, and adopt this perspective on family, that it is a blessing. And so invest your time, not just in the house at work, but the house of your family. And see that as the place to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And if you are single and you're not married and you don't have children, would you look at the opportunities you have for evangelistic work, missionary work, pastoral work to give birth to many children and so be a part of a great blessing from God for you and for the world around? Would you do that in prayer? Father, we say, unless the Lord builds the house, come and build the houses of our life that we might give honor and glory to you and be released from a meaningless, vain existence to live life for you, Jesus, as our Master, and so full of meaning and with the perspective that we are greatly loved and greatly blessed. In the name of Jesus, amen.